Hi, this is Jason, lead pastor at Casper Alliance Church. Thanks for stopping by our weekly teaching podcast. This is the third week of the series Open the Door, where we're working through the Christmas story and talking about how to open the door to certain parts of our life. Uh, week one was God's plan. Week two was hospitality. Today we're going to talk about silence and worship. If you'd like to know more about Casper Alliance Church, you can check us out at casperchurch.com. Or you can go to the App Store, your Google Play Store, and look for Casper Alliance Church app. We have it. Hope you have a great week. Hey, we're going to be in Luke again. We're, uh, this is the third week of a series that we're working through, uh, talking about opening the door. And I, was, I found, remember, I found it, this curriculum, in the recesses of this church building uh, from like the early 80s. And I started thumbing through it, and I was like, oh, this is kind of cool. Let's do it. And it was all about opening the door and a bunch of cliche words in there like, and I've talked about this, when we open the, like when God closes a door, he opens a window. And I'm like, that's a really poor way to live the Christian life. It's not how it is. That's somehow we've made this phrase so that we feel better about when things don't go the way that we want them to go. And so we've been talking about opening the door, what it means to open the door, and how that looks. And the first week we talked about opening the door to God's plans or God's purposes. Uh, and we talk about what does it look like when we open the door and have God's plans unfold in our life and his purposes unfold in our life and how, that, how that's supposed to look and feel and, and even how uncomfortable that can be at times. And then um, we talk about how the angel came to Mary and um, it said, you're going to be, you're gonna be uh, have the child within you. And she's like, how can that be? That's not possible. That's, how can that happen? And so the next week, we talked about uh, opening the door to friends, strangers, neighbors, people, ultimately showing hospitality. And the idea there was that uh, Mary showed up to Elizabeth, and, and uh, John the Baptist leapt in the womb of Elizabeth as uh, Elizabeth was entertaining a guest. And what does it look like to open the door to hospitality in our lives, to, to love and care for our neighbor, to love and care for those who aren't invited to the party, to, to, to people who aren't in the circle. Who's missing from the group, I ask? Today, we're going to talk about opening the door to silence. And we're going to practice it. We're just going to be quiet for the next 42 minutes. No one's going to say anything. <laughs> Why are you laughing? You're like, you can't do that. Silence is the most impossible thing for me to do, by the way. <laughs> I can't hear you back there, Benjamin. Did you say something funny to me? We did have that moment. Remember when we were talking about it is good, and Benjamin said, I didn't screw it up. I don't remember what, even what he said. <laughs> Not me. I, that's right. I was saying, God created the earth, and it was good, and, he, and then we messed it up. And he yells, Not me. That's great. That was so good. Oh, feels good. We enjoy when our littles, and by the way, littles, if you haven't noticed, uh, you're not running back today, so you have to enjoy me. Uh, remember, parents, there are busy bags back there. You can grab them and keep your kids busy on the floor, or they can listen to this talk. We're going to talk about silence. Silence is hard for me. Um, again, I joke about it, but if you sat in a, in a room with me, I'll usually waste most of our time with my words. Being silent is not something that, that, that I believe is a, a thing that I'm supposed to do. <laughs> and so I just talk. And you can, like, 
all of you who've been in a meeting with me, or like, it, it is painful for me to, to shut up. And it hurts. We had this discipleship meeting. Um, am I supposed to announce that today, by the way? I am, aren't I? Um, we had this discipleship meeting this last week. Where we're, we're working on a project, and it's called The Invite. And you've seen this board out here in the hallway called, says The Invite on it. Well, The Invite is coming. Eventually, you'll be invited. But it's going to be part of our discipleship path and plan here at the church and how we together can grow in the Lord. But we're sitting at this meeting. Uh, it was last week, and I was trying so hard to be silent. So hard. Like, to just keep my mouth shut during the meeting. So much so that after the meeting, uh, in, in the next, like a day later, I think it was a day later, somebody said to me, oh my goodness, it was painful watching you try to not talk. Like they could see like me sweating and just like struggling to not, like, because I dominate with words. That's what I do. I'm, I, I'm a paid talker. And so being silent is hard. It's a difficult thing. And it's something that I have to do and that we should do. Turn with me to Luke chapter 1. We're going to pick up in this story. Um, well, actually, we're going to kind of jump between two spots, but this, this is a story within the story, the Christmas story. And this is the story of Zechariah. So Luke chapter 1, and we're going to do it in two different parts today. Remember, I'm reading from the NLT this morning and always. Let's pray for a second. Father, as I go in to talk, uh, it's not lost on me that we're talking about being silent. And so, Lord, I, I pray that you would only use the words that I say that are important to hit the minds of the people. And, Lord, that uh, as a part of us working through this story and, and talking about silence, um, that you would manifest yourself in our soul so that we can grow. And so, Lord, I, again, I ask you to remove anything that's superfluous and useless and that you would only bring about what's good for your church and your people in your son's name amen let me start with the story so opening the door to silence there's another part of it and we'll get to that in a second but opening the door to silence what does it look like to be silent why is being silent good luke 1 starting with verse 5 when herod the king of judea there when Herod was the king of Judea, there was a Jewish priest named Zechariah. He was a member of the priestly order of the Abijah, and his wife Elizabeth was also from the priestly line of Aaron. Zechariah and Elizabeth were righteous in God's eyes, careful to obey all the Lord's commandments and regulations. They had no children because Elizabeth was unable to conceive, and they were both very old. One day, Zechariah was serving God in the temple, for his order was on duty that week. As was the custom of priests, he was chosen by the lot to enter the sanctuary of the Lord and burn incense. While the incense was being burned, a great crowd stood outside praying. As Zechariah was in the sanctuary, an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing to the right of the incense altar. Zechariah was shaken and overwhelmed with fear when he saw him. But the angel said, don't be afraid, Zechariah. God has heard your prayer. Your wife, Elizabeth, will give you a son, and you are to name him John. You will have great joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. 
for he will be great in the eyes of the Lord. He must never touch wine or other alcoholic drink. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before his birth, and he will turn many Israelites to the Lord their God. He will be a man with the spirit, with the spirit and power of Elijah. He will prepare the people for the coming of the Lord. He will turn the heart of the fathers to their children, and he will cause those who are rebellious to accept wisdom of the godly. Zechariah said to the angel, How can I be sure this will happen? I am an old man now, and my wife is also well along in years. You see how he didn't call her old? He, he subtly just said she's well along in years. Take that, man. Don't call your wife old. They're just well along, well along. <laughs> then the angel said, I am Gabriel, and I stand in the very presence of God. It was he who sent me to bring you this good news. But now, now, since you didn't believe what I said, you will be silent and unable to speak until the child is born. For my words will certainly be fulfilled at the proper time. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah to come out of the sanctuary, wondering why he was taking so long. When he finally did come out, he couldn't speak to them. Then they realized from his gestures and his silence that he must have seen a vision in the sanctuary. When Zechariah's week of service in the temple was over, he returned home. Soon afterward, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and went into seclusion for five months. How kind the Lord is, she exclaimed. He has taken away my disgrace of having no children. A couple of little just, as I interact and read it, I didn't write this down. There's an encounter that Zechariah has with the presence of the Lord. And Gabriel reminds him that I've been sent by God. I stand in the presence of God. The words I'm going to share with you, the words I said to you, are the very words of God. That encounter should cause some sort of disruption. It should cause a disruption, and it did cause a disruption. Not only was there a punishment that Gabriel doled out to him, but there is a disruption, I think, when you come into the presence of the Lord. Now, I'm asking for us as a church to say maybe that disruption needs to be, to be quiet, to, to be silent, to this isn't giving you kids permission to say this that are in this room, but maybe the encounter with God should require us to shut up and to not talk. Now remember, each week we're, doing a re we're responding by taking communion. That's a physical response that we can have to what's God doing in our soul. So for, for the Advent season, we're taking communion. It's a response, yes, to come and, and to acknowledge the work of Christ. And I'll explain a little bit more today how I think communion should progress for us today as we respond to this, this, this text, this story. There isn't a charge here, like when we read the New Testament uh, like some of the uh, apostle letters or the epistle letters, I'm sorry, and, and there's like actual action points. There isn't. We're, we're extrapolating what would happen if we encountered God. And I think one of those things that should happen is that we should shut our mouths. We should just be quiet. There's a funny illustration. I'm not going to say who said it this morning. We were talking in a circle. We were talking about the chaos of the world. And the person, they'll know who I'm talking about, was talking about how they wanted to type out something when they read something. And then all of a sudden they're like, ooh, maybe I shouldn't say that. How much of your personal angst would be 
resolved if you just didn't respond to the thing that you want to respond to. Maybe if you all just made funny videos online like my wife does, you'd be happy. <laughs> just be ridiculous for a day instead of responding. No, but in reality, wouldn't it be great if we all were just to be quiet for a while? And just not have an opinion? But we're humans, we're supposed to have an opinion. What if you didn't? What if your opinion was really what it was worth, and that's a bag of dog poo-poo? Because that's really what your opinion's worth. Because your opinion isn't going to change anything at all. I promise. Even the collective 10 million people with the same opinion isn't going to change it. Even 76 million people with the same opinion isn't going to change anything. It just doesn't change. Your wants and your opinions do nothing. But you know what does change? A heart that's been transformed by encountering the presence of God. That heart changes. And that's why I think instead of giving Zechariah the opportunity to go explain, I met the living Christ. I met the presence of the Lord. I, there's this miracle that's going to happen. This amazing thing's going to happen to my family. God has touched me, talked to me, and told me what he's going to do. And here's what's going to happen in my life. And here's who my son's going to be. Here's, I mean, think about this. The, the angel appeared to Mary said, you're going to have the Messiah. Okay, that's cool, that's cool. But look at what, what Gabriel says about what John's going to do. Let me, let me, he will be filled with the Holy Spirit. Even before his birth, he will turn away many Israelites to their Lord. He will turn people who are lost back to the Lord. He will be a man with the spirit and power of Elijah. Now here's the deal. They've been talking about the Messiah forever and ever and ever. The Messiah's going to come. But Elijah did come. And they knew who he was. And they knew the stories. And there's historical documents that say what happened with Elijah. And so now, now Zechariah is hearing, my son is going to be like Elijah? He'll have the same power and authority? This is crazy. He will prepare the people for the coming of the Messiah. So the only way the Messiah is going to come is if my son comes first. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children. And he will cause those who are rebellious to accept the wisdom of the gospel. What a resume for a kid who hasn't even been born. What a resume. And everything inside of us, in, I mean, the, the first century followers of the Lord and the 21st centuries of the, father of the followers of the Lord would want to tweet, put that on the gram, put it on the Facebook, do it in the MeWe or Kiwi or whatever the parlor, whatever the newfangled fun ways to show how great your life is. That, I mean, that's what Zechariah would do. He would step out of the temple. He would step out of the sanctuary. And you would, he would say, look what's going to happen to me. Look what's going to happen to my son, who you all are laughing at my family because we don't have any kids. Look what's going to happen to our life. Look at me, look at me, look at me. And Gabriel says, no, no, no. I'm going to shut your mouth up. You will be quiet. You will be silent. You will only be able to ponder and wonder what's going to happen next. 
Anybody like Hamilton? Anybody watch Hamilton yet? Are we the only progressives in the church? Thank you. And we know who you voted for. I'm just kidding. There's a great line in Hamilton. And if we, if we could have more than 10 people in our house, we'd totally invite you all over and let you watch it in our living room. But we can't, so we won't. But there's a great line in the musical Hamilton where Aaron Burr says to, to Hamilton, talk less, smile more. Talk less, smile more. What if we just talked less and smiled more? What if we left our opinions on the shelves? You know, when you're silent, when you refuse to talk, it allows the Spirit of God to shape your words. It allows the Spirit of God to shape your soul. Those who love Jesus get a benefit from being quiet. The benefit that Zechariah, we will see in a little bit, unfolds well and is really kind of exciting. We're going to talk about that in a second. But let's talk just for a little bit more about being silent. When you think of God, and when you, you put God on your mind, or you were to go into a, like a prayer position or to a quiet space or, or try to even just contemplate who God is. Is it easy for you to describe? So we say things, I think, and I'm not criticizing this, I'm actually just saying I think we say things like God is loving, God is gracious, God is good, God is perfect, and we attach maybe theology to it, and we'll, we'll say God is all-powerful. God is all-knowing. We, we, we try to describe who God is. But I don't believe, I don't believe we have the full capacity to really explain God to someone. Because we don't fully understand God. We understand the things that God gives us. We understand the things that we feel when we encounter him. And we trust, we trust that God is faithful to doing the things that he said he's going to do. But to fully extrapolate the Almighty, the creators in the heavens of earth and earth, we don't have the mental capacity to figure that out. So we create our kind of own versions and feelings and the things we want about it. But I will tell you this, the less, we, the less we say, the more we think. The less we say, the more we think. And the more we think and, and sense and, and wait on the Lord, I'm, the more we're shaped to communicate the things that he wants us to communicate. So when the time does come to speak, we begin to speak words that the Lord wants us to speak. We pop off at the mouth quite a bit. Turn with me to James really quick. I'll give you the famous James passage about talking. James 1. <laughs> if you claim to be religious but don't control your tongue, you are fooling yourself and your religion is worthless. 
pure and genuine religion in the sight of God the Father means caring for the orphans, widows in their distress, and refusing to let the world corrupt you. Caring for the widows and the orphans. Not teaching or communicating or telling somebody something. And then James attaches this thing to the end. Not letting the world corrupt you. Again, I'm going to say it, I'm, I'm rattling, I'm, I'm speaking the same thing, but our, the opinions of us church people today is being corrupted by the world. We're sliding in to the same conversation everybody else is having. And we're trying to put our, our Christian spin on it. We're trying to inject maybe a little bit, but it, it is being corrupted. Because what's being removed is action. Taking care of the people around us. In fact, we're being told we can't even take care of them in some ways. But when, when our words are being corrupted by the way the world is, is working, and we're just kind of sliding between the exact same thing, but trying to put our Christian view or our Christian, our Christian angle on it, it's, it's still corrupted. It still comes from us first. And that's why the silence, opening the door to silence, allows to, to shape and conform and transform our very words. So that the words that we do speak or the actions that we do have are not corrupted. They're not broken. They're not sinful or selfish or built in some sort of am, personal ambition or, or agenda. Again, we have an agenda. And we want to be right. And we want to, to have what we want. The silence. Silence is countercultural. Silence is turning everything upside down. Silence is what we aren't used to doing. So how does silence progress in the life of Zechariah? I will say this, one more thing. Contemplation, thinking, sitting, waiting on the Lord, actually, I believe, renews your faith. Because you're not interjecting your words into God's plans, God's activities. You're allowing Him, again, to saturate you in your soul so that you are able to communicate his truth, his life, the good news. All right, let's, let's, let's hear the rest of the story. What happens to Zechariah? Turn with me to Luke 1, 57. Luke 1, 57. <clears throat> the rest of the story. Thanks, Andy, for the assist on the scripture. I wrote it down wrong. My bad. I, I, we have great elders here. Again, when I have so many words... And I write something down wrong, I'm lost. Because I hardly write anything down. So I trusted that I wrote it down right. <laughs> Don't trust me. When it comes to writing, my words, though. Sorry. All right, let's read the rest of the story. Here's how, here's how the story of Zechariah progresses, okay? Silence, and I'm just going to give you the big punchline. Silence leads to worship. Silence leads to worship. Again, this feels like a thing that I attack at this church quite a bit because there's many of us who are like, eh, I'm from Wyoming, you know, I'm, I'm kind of a real man, I don't like to worship, worship isn't kind of a thing that I do, worship's like, you know, how do I do that, I don't know how to raise my hands, I don't know how to dance, I don't know how, to, I mean, I don't, yeah. but here's the deal, worship is not just song, it, it can be song, but worship is a position, it's a position of the heart, and silence actually leads to that. Because God is shaping you again. Now, here's what happens to Zechariah. 
When it was time for Elizabeth's baby to be born, she gave birth to a son. And when the neighbors and the relatives heard that the Lord had been very merciful to her, everyone rejoiced with her. When the baby was eight days old, they all came for the circumcision ceremony. They wanted to name him Zechariah after his father, but Elizabeth said, no, his name is John. I wonder how, how he, community, he wrote that down, right? He didn't use his words. He just kind of wrote it down, split it across the table. I said, can't say anything about it. Here you go. This is me. What they exclaim, there is no one in all your family by that name. So they used gestures to ask the baby's father what he wanted to name him. He motioned for a writing tablet, and everyone's surprised he wrote his name as John. Instantly, Zechariah could speak again, and he began praising God. Awe fell upon the whole neighborhood, and the news of what had happened spread throughout the Judean hills. Everyone who heard about it reflected on these events and asked, what will this child turn out to be? For the hand of the Lord was surely upon him in a special way. Then his father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and gave this prophecy. Praise the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has visited and redeemed his people. He sent us a mighty Savior from the royal line of the servant David, just as he promised through his holy prophets long ago. Now we will be saved from our enemies and from all who hate us. He has been merciful to our ancestors by remembering his sacred covenant, the covenant he swore with an oath to our ancestor Abraham. We have been rescued from our enemies so we can serve God without fear in holiness and righteousness for as long as we live. And you, my little son, will be called the prophet of the Most High because you will prepare the way of the Lord. For you will tell this, his people how to find salvation through forgiveness of their sins. Because of God, the morning to give us, to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, and to guide us to the path of peace. John grew up and became strong in spirit and lived in the wilderness until he became a, until, until he began his public ministry to Israel. The silence that, that Zechariah had to endure a landed in prophetic praise. Prophetic praise. When we remove our words and allow and open the door to allow God to come in and are just quiet, it always lands in worship. It will always land in worship. Now again, I want to transform maybe for just a brief second that worship isn't just song. It's not just singing. It's not just hymns and praise music and worship bands. It's not standing up, raising your hands, clapping. That's not all that worship is. Turn with me to Romans chapter 12. And you should know this passage. It's, you know, classic church stuff. Romans 12. And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. So yes, worship can be song. Worship can be 
praising and using music and lifting your hands and, and those sort of things. That can be worship. But ultimately, worship is a position. Position before the Lord where you say, God has done this thing in me, and I'm going to respond by giving myself to Him. And then, circle back to the first week, have you opened the door to God's purposes in your life? Have you allowed God to move and work in your life so that you are truly a vessel? That is an act of worship. That is a way in which the people of God become worshipers of God. It's acknowledging all that He has done so that you will do all that you do. And it's ordained by Him. Not because of your strength, your skill, your ability to do certain things. It's because God has done this work inside of you. And I believe that this, the story of Zechariah is, is a, a framework for us to experience worship. To truly experience worship. You see, what's not here is that the acoustics are right, the perfect song is chosen, the band is mixed well, the worship leader is uh, gregarious and great. That's not, there's not a formula like that here at all. The formula goes like this. Encounter the living Christ. Be silent and wait. Respond with worship by giving of your life. That's the framework to experience worship in the Lord. That's why I believe that we can't like box it in and say it has to look a certain way or sound a certain way or, or walk a certain path. Just like any sort of spiritual endeavor that we have starts with the encounter with God and us surrendering to Him our life. When we disturb that space between the encounter and the surrender with our words and our noise, we miss opportunities to truly engage in worship. That's why it's okay for us to shut up and just wait. There was a time um, Adrienne was with me. We weren't married yet. We were just dating. And in our denomination, we haven't really talked about this a lot. I haven't taught through the four full gospel here yet since we've been since we've been at this church. But um, Fourfold gospel, Christ as sanctifier is one of the things that we that Jesus sanctifies us through and through. And in our denomination, we have um, have this phrase that we use in sanctification called the crisis and progression. Um, there's an encounter that we have with the Holy Spirit, with the living God, the presence of the Lord. Then there's this struggle, this tension, um, and we liken it back to how Paul talked in Romans that I do what I don't want to do and don't do what I do want to do, that whole sequence of scripture. And there's this like war of the soul that happens. And then on the other side of that is where we begin to have more of Christ in us and less of us in us. That's sanctification. That's becoming wholly sanctified. That's a very like quick and brief way to describe it. But the essence of that, there's a struggle. One of the times in my life where I know that the Spirit of God had touched me and I went through a crisis in progression was when I was in Bible college uh, in Minneapolis, and I was struggling with inadequacy. Like, has God really called me to do this thing that I'm standing here doing? And I didn't know if that was the thing that I was supposed to be doing, because, listen, you know where I worked. I worked at Wendy's, and I made a bunch of money working at Wendy's. And did I really want to give up the life of Wendy's for this? 
Now, that sounds funny, but really, at the end of the day, there was like this inadequacy I felt. And I remember working through that, and then Adrienne being a part of it too, that I was just laying on, I mean, it looked like a typical college room, by the way, just trashy and a futon mattress without a futon thing, just a futon mattress on the floor, and it just smelled like boy, and the kitchen hadn't been cleaned in six years, and so that's, I mean, that's where I lived. But like I was laying on the futon mattress on the floor just weeping. And I distinctly remember it raining and Adrienne just kind of calling me, but nobody was talking. I was just weeping. I wasn't using my words trying to rationalize or reason or through it. I wasn't trying to figure it out or convince myself of something. I was just broken seeking the Lord. Now, I wasn't silent because I was weeping. I was crying, but I, but I had this like, and it wasn't a sin issue. It, wasn't a, it was just like an inadequacy thing. What's God going to do with me? I had just come out of the temple and had this great experience with the Lord. And now I felt inadequate to serve his kingdom. I felt inadequate to hold this office, to stand before people. I felt inadequacy. And it broke me. And I was silent besides the crying. And I just was laying there weeping and weeping and weeping and weeping. And on the other side of that, on the other side of that, God filled me afresh, anew, in a way to where he was actually able to shape and conform my soul so that I felt like I could step out and lead. Now, I have a long ways to go. I mean, by the time I hit 62, I'll really be the pastor I want to be. That's like 35, 40 years from now. (laughs) I just want everybody paying attention. But there's this, this thing that happened on the other side to where I felt the Lord move me through to where I was willing and able to surrender myself as a living sacrifice. Use me however you want. Take me to where you want. I don't know how it's going to look, and it's not going to be the end of my story. And it's not going to be the end of my struggle. It's not going to be the end of my sin. It's not going to be the end of any of those different things. But there was this, it was this sequence to where my silence and not trying to rationalize or figure it out, God met me, moved me, shaped me, conformed me so that I was ready to take the next step in the journey or the walk with him. Do not be conformed to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. This is the spiritual act of worship. It's an acknowledgement of what God's doing in you. So what does worship involve? A couple things. Always, and this is why we're going to communion today. Worship always involves acknowledging the sacrifice. Always acknowledges the sacrifice. So in my inadequacy struggle, I had to acknowledge that Jesus loved me enough to die for me. The most basic of theologies. I was loved enough by the Son of the Creator of all things so that I could have life. And that my life needed to mean something because I was a child of God. I had been adopted into the family. I had been grafted in, and now I was part of a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Even as a Christian for 20 years at that point, probably, uh, no, probably 15 years, I still had to come and understand that great sacrifices were made so that I could have life, and so that I could live in a way that was spiritually different or countercultural, or or just different than the rest of the world. Sacrifice. Worship always involves sacrifice. 
The second thing I had to do, and here's the words that I think I, think I remember saying, is confession. Lord, I feel inadequate. Lord, help me to not feel inadequate even deeper. Lord, I need you more. Less of me, more of you in order to be a pastor. I am, I need, I'm confessing that I'm scared. I'm confessing that I don't know what I'm doing. I'm confessing that it's all smoke and mirrors. I'm confessing that this is a hot, dirty mess. And I need you in order to be a pastor. So the framework for authentic worship. Encounter the living Christ. Be silent and let him work on your heart, your soul, transforming you, seeking him. Acknowledge the sacrifice he's made for you confess the barrier and worship. That's a framework. And I probably could write that down and send it out to you, but like, that's my framework. So I think that that happens in communion. That's, that's the process of communion. You acknowledge the sacrifice. You make the walk forward, confessing your sin, confessing the things that you need to Asking the Lord for a, a, a deeper touch from Him. Communion isn't always just about sin, right? Sometimes it's like asking the, it's asking the Lord for more. It's asking the Lord for, Lord, I need a fresh filling. Lord, I, I need more of you and less of me. And so having that experience to where you, as you walk, you're saying, I'm acknowledging your lordship and power and authority over my life. It's confessing that you need him. And the act of worship, the physical act of worship, taking the communion and acknowledging that publicly together is, is, is just a beautiful representation of surrender. So, yes, open the door to silence in your life, and I pray that it leads to worship in your life. Because worship is the acknowledgement of God, who he is in this place. It's your response to him and all that he's done. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to invite the worship team to come up. And um, like every week, Pam and Andy, can I call on you guys to be prayer people over here? Um, we're going to have an elder couple up on the over here by these Christmas trees that if you want prayer this morning, Pam and Andy will come. We'll be there for you. They'll pray with you. Um, and that's another response, too, is, is seeking the Lord and saying, go before the elders. Um, and he's one of our elders, and we love to have them pray with you. And so we're going to take communion. Here's how we're going to do communion this morning. We want you to do it individually or as families. So we're not going to take together. So when you come up and take communion, uh, the, the act is, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to physically demonstrate this. I'm going to go off screen for a minute here to all of our at-home worshipers is when you come, I want this process from this line forward, and you don't have to. We don't need you to respond this way. And, and communion is for everyone who loves Jesus. But this act of walking forward, you should be working in your soul. You should be asking the Lord to speak to you. You should be asking the Lord to, to shape you. You should be asking God, and you should be confessing. You should be ready when you get to the elements to take knowing 
knowing that the work that Christ did on the cross is the sacrifice, and you are acknowledging, and, and he is shaping you as you come forward, the confessional piece. Now, our church um, family, we want to be a voice of hope to this community, to this world, and I think that that starts with us being right, with us being good, with us being right with the Lord. When I say good, I'm not talking like our, at, our ability to be good. I'm talking like we're good with Jesus. When we're good with the Lord, we don't have to do the work. The work is on him. We are just vessels to allow him to work through us. We get to talk less and smile more. Because the presence of the Lord on us is powerful. It's powerful.